0: You are listening to The Outer Pendulum, Part 2, Letter of Marquee, by Slava Heretz. Audio version read by John Bell. You can purchase this and additional installments in The Outer Pendulum Saga on Amazon, iBooks, Barnes & Noble, and many other ebook retailers. And make sure to visit slavaherits.com for more information on current and upcoming podcasts and releases in the series, Letter of Marquis, copyright 2011 by Slava Harris. You're buying me a drink, Patel said, looking up at his gunner as he stepped out of the cockpit. Yes, sir, Ishan, sir, Christensen said, giving his pilot a few sarcastic salutes as he climbed down the ladder. You saved our ass out there, you sure did. Sniper wing had nothing to do with getting us out of that stasis field. Patel rolled his eyes and began limping towards the airlock. All right, jeez, Christensen said as he hopped down to the deck from the third step. I was just kidding. Patel moved slowly, head down and helmet nearly scraping the deck, Chin strap barely held by the tips of his fingers. He favored his right leg as he staggered towards the back of the repair hangar. A few pilots and gunners from the remainder of Gamma Squadron were already gathering near the door, waiting for the stragglers to join them. Christensen jogged to catch up. He reached out and grabbed Patel by the back of his jumpsuit. Hey, you know I was just kidding, right? I mean, I owe you my life. You kept your cool out there, and I appreciate it. Rookie pilots would have panicked and done something stupid. Like getting us killed, Patel turned his head and gave his gunner a grim look. Christensen immediately released his grip on the suit. What is it? We've mixed it up out there together, what, about thirty times, Patel began. Yeah, give or take. In every sortie, we managed to get the way clean. Well, you're a damn good pilot. All these years, Noel, I felt we were invincible, like no one could touch us, ever. Christensen said nothing in response. And then there we were. No weapons, no speed. "'Pilots we've flown with day in and day out, dropping like flies all around us.' "'Christensen lowered his eyes and said nothing again. "'I thought for sure we were going to die out there. "'I thought for sure when that blast hit our port turret that we were done for. "'When that piece of shrapnel ripped through my leg, I thought that was it, "'that it was the last bit of pain I would feel before being incinerated into the void.' "'Christensen looked up and gave his pilot a firm glare. "'Don't talk like that. We're alive, and that's all that matters.' I don't care if you're the best damn pilot in this fleet. Sometimes if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you're toast, and there's no way to control it. It's like Russian roulette out there. We just happened to get the empty chamber this time around. Patel sighed and looked out towards the airlock. There were only two senior officers and a fraction of the lieutenants left in the pack. Hey, where's Lieutenant Commander Dex? Patel yelled towards the gathering. He didn't make it, called out one of the officers. Yes, he did, sir. I flew on his wing as we hyper-injected back to the corvette. You're sure, Lieutenant? Positive, sir. I saw the wing leader emblem on his starboard side. After a few moments of neck craning at the door, Lieutenant Commander Arillo broke away and hurried past Patel. You're right, Lieutenant. That's his ship in the first repair slot, he pointed to the front of the hangar. Did he debark, sir? Doesn't look like it. Arillo momentarily slowed and turned around. Christensen, the commander called out. Sir, you come with me. I'll need you to administer medical aid if Dex is injured. Aye, sir. Christensen gave his pilot a weary look out the side of his eye and jogged towards the lieutenant commander. The two men zigzagged through a row of fighters, making their way quickly to the front of the hangar. Sir, he seemed fine over comms, Christensen said as they maneuvered past the last set of repair bays. You're right, lieutenant. He's probably just trapped inside with a canopy malfunction. I might need you to override the locks and pry the thing open. Yes, sir. They approached Lieutenant Commander Dex's Phoenix-class fighter and stopped beside the front landing leg. The canopy was shut tight, and the height of the flight deck made it impossible to see inside. Damn it, cursed Arillo. He didn't even deploy the debarkation ladder. What the hell's he doing in there? Christensen thought of making a tasteless joke, but wisely chose to bite his tongue. And where the hell are those damn repair mechs? They were supposed to be done in Hangar F a half hour ago. Sir, I can override the ladder control from underneath the hull. I've seen the technicians do it. "'All right, go ahead. Here's my security pack.' Lieutenant Commander Arillo stepped back from the craft and watched Christensen fiddle with the access panel on the underbelly of the hull. Arillo looked up at the cockpit to try and get a peek into the ship, but he could only see the top of the hangar, blurred by the canopy's grade 4-6 titanium alloy casing. "'Dex!' he shouted up. "'You all right in there?' There was no response. Suddenly, a compartment below the base of the canopy opened, and the debarkation ladder uncoiled towards the deck. "'Can you pop the lid from that panel?' Arillo asked." No, sir, that override is at the top. Arillo held his hand out. In that case, after you, lieutenant. Christensen grabbed the railing and scurried up the steps. When he reached the top, he put his face against the canopy, covering the sides with both hands to block the glare from the overhead floodlights. He slid his head around the casing, trying to look in from several angles, but eventually pulled away. I don't see him, sir, he called down to the lieutenant commander, who was slowly making his way up the ladder. Lights aren't on either. All right, pop the lid. He's got to be in there somewhere. Christensen slid his head to the front of the canopy, trying to get a look into the ship's back room. Sir, the Phoenix class has a fairly large storage bay. He could be back there gathering supplies. Arillo reached the top of the steps and shoved his face onto the canopy, just as Christensen had, hoping to get a better glimpse inside. And just like the lieutenant, all Arillo could see was an empty seat and a few blinking lights from the instruments lining the perimeter of the cockpit. Lieutenant Christensen reached into the security pouch and found five fingerprint stickers. He set one on each fingertip and placed his hand flat across the override access panel. The cover vanished to expose a series of color-coded capacitive sliders and buttons. Sir, step back, please. I'm about to open the canopy. Christensen entered a few codes and guided the main slider to its topmost position. The canopy let out a deep hiss and began to drift back, slowly disappearing into the top of the hull. Lieutenant Commander Arello peered into the dark, stuffy cockpit. Dex, he muttered. You okay in there? He climbed in and surveyed the flight deck. There was no sign of Lieutenant Commander Dex. No food remains, no empty drinks in the restraint harness. It seemed strange. The Lieutenant Commander was known around the squadron for being a bit of a slob. Dara mercenary custodians made weekly complaints about the condition of his craft after a sortie. But there was nothing in that cockpit, not even a crumb. It was as though the man had never been there. Lieutenant, you wouldn't happen to have a flashlight on you, would you? Orillo inquired. No, sir, I apologize. We need some light in that back room. Sir, I'll take a look. I get my fair share of beta-carotene. Orillo chuckled and stepped back to let the lieutenant squeeze into the cockpit. Christensen grabbed the top of the hull and pulled himself in behind the command chair. He crouched down and tried to get a look inside the open storage bay. A single ray of light shone in from a tiny porthole in the back corner of the room, with a few insects crawling back and forth from one edge of the beam to the other. Christensen took a few slow, awkward steps into the storage bay. Still watching the insects scurry within the ring of light, he fumbled around the side wall for a switch. Finding one, he tried touching it with a finger, but nothing happened. ''Lieutenant Commander Dex,'' he said, as he panned his eyes from one corner of the dark room to the other. ''This is Lieutenant Christensen. I need to know if you're all right.'' He got nothing but silence in return, only hearing the staccato pitter-patter of the insects scurrying to and fro, never venturing beyond the bounds of the light they seemed to be trapped within. He took a few steps toward the infested area and picked up one of the bugs. He held it up to the porthole light and rotated it in his hand. He didn't recognize the species, but it looked a bit like the cockroaches on Hydra 2, without the long flowing antennae of the pests back home. Just as he was about to crush it between his fingers, Something slimy and thin whipped out from the darkness and snatched the insects from his grasp. He stumbled back, losing his footing completely and crashing against the back wall. His heart began to race. His breath quickened. He tried to scramble to his feet, but the deck was too slippery to catch traction. A pair of green eyes suddenly appeared in the light. Another soon followed. The eyes stared directly at Christensen without a blink or twitch. He stopped his breath now pulsating as he watched the two figures appear from the shadows. The scales. The ridges. He knew who they were. He knew how they got there. He wanted to reach for his multi-tool or at least some kind of weapon, but his body was frozen, unable to move. Don't come near me, you filthy reptiles, he muttered. The two figures rattled their forked tongues outside their mouths as they inched closer to Christiansen. Stay back, he demanded with wide eyes, his back now plastered up against the wall of the storage bay. Suddenly, one lunged and took a fierce swipe at Christensen's neck. The creature's claw tore through a layer of skin, sending a spurt of blood flying through the room. The other leapt on him and slashed through his chest. They then stepped back, watching Christiansen lie there, helpless, bleeding to death. One of the creatures grabbed the lieutenant's hand. The fingerprint stickers were still on each tip. They pulled all five off and burst through the cockpit. Captain Saffinger! The ensign cried out. Two more bodies over here! Captain Eli Saffinger ignored the ensign. He crouched down beside a woman lying motionless on her back. She was dead no more than twenty minutes, the acid burn still fresh and slowly eating through to her stomach. He looked up and scanned the hangar. He counted twenty-five more corpses, most of which were centered around the airlock. They all had similar acid burns. Some even showed wounds on their faces, their flesh nearly burned off, already exposing skull and bone. "'Where are they, Captain Navinus?' he asked. "'I don't know, sir. The Master-at-Arms ordered a lockdown of the entire ship and for all security personnel and fleet to transfer aboard.' "'Do you know how they got into the hangar?' "'Not exactly sure, sir. My best guess is that the Jollers finally developed a mold-matching technology.' Saffinger scrunched his brows and gave the captain a puzzled look. Captain Novenis turned and pointed to the Phoenix class in the first repair slot. See that fighter over there, sir? Yes. That's supposedly Lieutenant Commander Dex's craft. What do you mean? Well, it still looks like his fighter, but the ID signature doesn't match. How is that possible? Captain Saffinger asked. It's a theory, sir, but I believe the Jowler ships can now instantaneously reach some unknown metallurgic state and copy our ship design mid-flight." Where did you get this theory, Captain? Sir, you hired me to command a Vickers-class repair corvette based on my knowledge of -of state-of-the-art metallurgy technologies. It's really nothing new. The new alliance has been toying with the idea for ages. Looks like the Jollers just beat us to making it work. Saffinger stood up from his crouched position and looked out at the craft. So that's a replica of one of our fighters? It looks like it, sir. The hull, at least. The circuitry and computer systems are definitely joller. I mean, in the heat of the battle, I suppose my scanner operator just didn't think to ID each ship as it entered the hangar. And Lieutenant Commander Dex's craft was logged as destroyed? Yes, sir. Unfortunately. Saffinger surveyed the hangar again. Medics and doctors tended to each of the fallen victims, placing them on gurney bots and attempted to slow any further bleeding or acid corrosion. They were all dead but it was still the duty of the medical staff to keep the bodies intact for proper autopsy. "'Captain!' a medic cried out from the cockpit of the Phoenix class. "'We've got a pulse in here!' Saffinger and Navinus rushed over to the fighter. They clambered up the debarkation ladder and peered into the craft. Lieutenant Christensen sat in the pilot's chair, eyes half shut, holding his neck as blood poured out onto his jumpsuit. The medic was already cauterizing the wound with a surgical soldering laser." He got lucky, sir, said the medic, as he finished with the neck and moved on to the gash in the chest. Wound just barely missed the jugular. Can he talk? inquired Saffinger. The medic looked down at Christensen. The lieutenant opened his eyes slightly and managed a slow nod. He let out a few violent coughs, sending a splatter of blood onto the instruments in front of him. Lieutenant, Saffinger began. We can wait till you're healed. Christensen shook his head furiously. No, sir, he gargled. Now? He took a ragged breath and coughed again, then turned his head to the captain. That weren't starboard side, Christensen managed. Shuttle hanger. How many? Two. Navinus immediately turned his back to the men and put his finger on a spot a few centimeters behind his ear. Chief Sal, you read, said Navinus towards no one. He listened for a response on his calm implant, then reached down for a sidearm. He unclipped the holster and scampered down the debarkation ladder. Is the security team on board yet? Saffinger faintly heard the captain say as he ran towards the airlock, eventually taking a hard right and disappearing into the ship's maze of winding corridors. Saffinger turned to Christensen. The lieutenant's eyes were now fully closed, and he took a few sluggish breaths, still being tended to by the medical corpsman. They... (sighs) Christensen stopped and suddenly winced. He let out a primal yell, then grabbed and twisted the medic's right arm. The local anesthetic was wearing off, and he could already feel the burning and stinging as though the claws had torn through his body just moments ago. The medic turned and injected the lieutenant with a dose of painkillers just above the heart. Christensen slowly relaxed and released his grip on the doctor. Captain, Christensen said, they took a security pouch from Lieutenant Commander Arillo. "'Tell me they didn't take our synth fingerprints, Lieutenant.' Christensen lowered his eyes and nodded. "'They could be anywhere then,' Saffinger muttered, his stoic face now starting to show a hint of worry. "'No, sir. The flagship,' Christensen burst out. "'That's where they're headed. They're after you.' The lieutenant coughed again, then wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. "'I heard them talking, joller gibberish. But before they jumped out, I heard your name.' "'I'm not sure, Lieutenant. "'Sir, trust me, you're in danger. "'It was just—' "'The lieutenant paused and turned towards Saffinger. "'It was just something of the way they said your name, "'with their scathing, vengeful tone, "'like you had just stomped and crushed "'all their unhatched spawn and then spit on the eggshells. "'I've seen anger on a joller's face before, Captain. "'But nothing like this.' "'Saffinger put a hand on the side of the ship's hull.' "How they get through the remainder of Gamma Squadron?" Savinger asked. "We weren't prepared, sir. The lizards tossed acid grenades, fired acid bolts. We had tiny knives and dull tools. We didn't stand a chance." Savinger sighed and stepped back from the fighter. "Doc," he began, "get this man to sick bay. Have him give the Master at Arms a full report when he's fully recovered." "'I'm sorry. I couldn't do more, Captain,' Christensen interrupted, wincing again as he tried to sit up. "'You're lucky to even be alive, Lieutenant. You did all you could. Relax. Get some rest.' Saffinger leaned in, patted the lieutenant on the shoulder, then immediately turned and climbed back down to the deck. Just as he started to walk to the hangar exit— a pair of men in black Dara uniforms and combat-fitted helmets burst through the airlock door and rushed towards him. Both men held assault rifles at attention as they ran side by side, step for step in perfect unison. Sir, one barked. We've been ordered to escort you to the emergency shuttle bay and transport you to the Uru Moon Mining Outpost. Under whose orders? Captain Devenis. it's for your safety, sir. We don't know how many more reptiles are aboard this ship or yours. Saffinger looked out at the hangar in Virofield. A horde of repair mechs flew in from beyond the blue mist and immediately began work on the damaged fighters in the repair slots. Dara Mercenary Coalition was the first non-government organization to be allowed use of the newly developed Envirofield technology. After over six decades of research and testing, Hydra Military Labs finally managed to create a hangar entrance that trapped oxygen and regulated air pressure and gravity. Solid matter could now pass through, So ships and mechs had the luxury of free takeoff and landing without the time-consuming need of opening hangar doors. At the same time, pilots and crew could walk without fear of suffocation or being sucked into the vacuum. It was a win-win for everyone on board. One second, Saffinger said to the guards. He marched over to one of the mechs hovering some twenty meters above him, already welding a broken turret. Andrews, what the hell took you so long? he shouted up. The mousy woman inside the repair mech shut off the torch and looked down at the captain. She descended to the deck and flipped open the cockpit mask, still several meters above Saffinger, comfortably wedged into her oversized mech as though she were born inside it. "'Captain, do you know how many ships were damaged in that battle?' she began with her coarse, permanently irritated voice. "'My crew's been working seven hours straight fixing this mess. Twelve hangers are filled to capacity right now, and we're barely even halfway done. Cut us some slack here, sir.' Turn around, Marjorie. The woman shifted her feet, and the mech responded in kind, turning to face the back of the hangar. Oh, my God, Andrews whispered to herself. If you were here on time, you wouldn't be seeing this, Saffinger said. What? What happened? she asked, still looking out at the body strewn across the deck, her eyes becoming wide and mouth agape. Your onboard weapons could have stopped this massacre, he said. Sir, I, I don't know what to say. I hired you because I knew you were the best, Andrews. You've never let me down or given me excuses until now. If you can't keep up, I'll find another engineering crew who can. He spun around and started walking back to the security guards. Now get back to work, he ordered with a quick turn of the head. I expect a full report tomorrow. And on time! Uru Mining Outpost was a backwater station in a backwater region of space, already strip-mined and exhausted some decades ago. But the Dubdonians still held onto it for political posterity, keeping it as their buffer zone between human and Jaller space. In its heyday, Uru Moon and the entire Omega Polaris system was a bustling port, serving several trade routes in and out of Dubdonian space. Now it was treated as a mere transfer station, housing mostly unwanted goods temporarily in giant warehouses until pickup, sometimes weeks or months longer than scheduled. Welcome, Captain Saffinger," said the customs agent. As Saffinger entered the terminal with the two bodyguards still at his side, the agent rode an uptrack reaching Saffinger's waist from tread to cover. It was a standard variant for Dobonian paramilitary personnel. Nothing flashy, but it protected its host's delicate gelatinous body well. Each motion was controlled from inside by the agent, using its tiny, whisker-like appendages to manipulate the mechanized body. Saffinger had never seen many Earth creatures, but the other colonists in the New Alliance always compared the Debdonians to jellyfish. They seemed to float inside the uptrack capsules with mushroom-like bodies and hundreds of dangling, fingerless arms, constantly poking and prodding at the controls. Welcome to our humble space station, the agent continued in its native tongue, directing the men with a turn of its head and a grating screech that followed. Dubdonian mouths and vocal cords were too small for humans to register any audible sound. Their uptracks were fitted with amplifiers capable of conforming to most pitch and decibel levels necessary for communication with regional aliens. Sometimes their computers just didn't function the way they were supposed to. Thank you, Staffinger said with a wince as he shoved a finger in his ear. How's our cargo doing? Just fine, sir. Our crews are unloading the goods from your freighter as we speak. May I have a look? Unfortunately, no, sir. Only authorized personnel are permitted inside the shipping terminal. The view from the lounge is quite sufficient, I would say. Meals and refreshments are also available for purchase at your convenience. All right, gentlemen, Saffinger says he turned to one of the guards at his flank. You brought me here. Which of you is buying the first round? The two guards kept staring straight out, rifles at attention, as though Saffinger hadn't said a thing. Saffinger shook his head and went straight for the lounge entrance, the guards immediately following a few steps behind. Saffinger put a finger behind his ear and pressed on the side of his skull. Captain Davenis, you read? Loud and clear, Captain, came a voice through the implant. Give me status on the intruders. We haven't found them yet, sir. There are traces of tampering on the shuttle bay access panels and launch controls, but they're not in any of them. Wait, hold on, sir. A shuttle just activated thrusters. There's lift. It's taking off, Sir. Savinger suddenly heard a medley of rifle fire come from the other end of the implant. Nevenis, tell your officers to hold their fire. I want those reptiles alive. Hold fire, Nivenis shouted over the burst of gun blasts around him. A few of the soldiers ceased, but there were still shots coming from all parts of the room in spurts and ricocheting off the hull of the shuttle. I said hold fire, he yelled, louder than before and with a more commanding tone. The shots stopped and all was quiet again over the implant. "'Sir,' Novenas began again. "'The shuttle escaped the Envirofield and turned upwards. "'They're headed for the flagship.' "'Good. Capture them there and take them to the brig immediately. "'When all this is over, I want to interrogate them myself.' "'Aye, sir. Out.' Saffinger released his finger from the side of his head and continued towards the waiting area. He hurried over to a porthole in the back of the lounge and surveyed the void outside, looking back and forth for the hijacked shuttle. It appeared just where Novenas said it would— from the Vicar's shuttle hangar, and turned towards Saffinger's heavy cruiser, docked in an Uru repair cradle. Saffinger watched as within minutes a swarm of shuttles appeared from the repair ship's envirofield and matched the heading of the stolen craft, following it towards the Dara flagship. A trio of fighters joined the pursuit, swiftly maneuvering past the shuttle gang and coming into a tight formation just aft of the lone ship. Saffinger watched as the intruders accelerated towards the cruiser, then vanished just beyond the mist of the envirofield. One by one, all the fighters and security shuttles followed suit and disappeared into the hangar behind them. Saffinger pressed behind his ear again. "'Captain Nivenis, report,' he said. "'Sir, they've landed and are opening the canopy.' Nivenis stopped. "'Klein, make a perimeter. Don't give them any room.' "'You see them?' Saffinger interrupted. "'No, but they're in there, sir. Probably afraid to come out.' "'Good. Let them come out on their own, Nivenis. I don't want any unnecessary casualties.' Don't worry, sir. We have former Marines on the job. Entry, flashbang, and clear. Routine procedure. If they've popped the lid and aren't rushing out, they're up to something. We've been fooled once already. Don't make the same mistake Captain Hivsey made. Sir, they've lost the element of surprise. They're outnumbered, with nowhere to run or hide. I think we can handle this. Just be careful, Captain. Out. Saffender dropped his hand to his side. He could still hear Novinas barking orders to his security forces from the other end of the implant, setting positions at each of the critical entry and exit points. He ordered weapons set to non-lethal electroshock and for readying of flashbangs and CS gas. Then the implant went silent. Saffinger knew what Novinas was doing. He was creeping up to the ship, giving hand signals to his officers as he inched closer. Saffinger heard footsteps lightly clanging against metal, then the sound of a door sliding open. Go, Nivenis shouted. Enter, bang and clear now. A roar of footsteps erupted from Saffinger's calm implant, shouting and clamoring, and sounds of utter chaos filled the speaker. There were bangs and hisses, seeming to come from every direction, but no shots or electrobolts and no contact signals. He heard a few faint rooms clear, but no sign of the Jaller intruders. Captain, they're not here. Saffinger heard one of the security officers call out. They've got to be here somewhere. Keep looking, Nivenis responded. Sir, this is a tiny ship. We've covered every corner. Damn it! Navinus went silent for a moment. Wait, isn't this an old smuggler design? Sir! Saffinger heard another officer call out from a distance. I've got something. There's a compartment over here. Saffinger could hear more clanging as Navinus ran down the corridor to meet the officer. All right, stand back, everyone. Klein, open it. Saffinger heard the compartment door swing open. Then a sudden click. Mother of... Then nothing. No static. No echoes or hums just silence. Suddenly, a burst of red and yellow light appeared from inside the Envirofield, and a spray of debris launched out. The hangar tore apart, sending a burning sphere of white light and large chunks of debris careening in all directions. Saffinger's jaw dropped. He stared intently at his ship, which was now missing a chunk out of its starboard side, and pushed down on the implant behind his ear. He didn't say anything. He just eyed the ship, mouthing something slowly with no noise actually coming from his mouth. A piece of metal suddenly slammed against the porthole window, and Saffinger reeled backwards onto the edge of a table behind him. He looked over at his bodyguards, who remained still, not moving or showing a hint of emotion. Saffinger straightened up and jammed his finger onto the implant behind his ear. Commander Fielding! There was no response. Commander Fielding, do you read? He waited a bit longer, but there was still no voice from the other end. Almstock! Groves! he tried. Someone answer me. Sir, replied the chief engineer. Almstok, what the hell happened? Sir, there was a detonation. Dense plasma. We managed to seal off part of the ship, but the bridge and most of the starboard side were destroyed. How many dead? Fifty four crew currently unaccounted for. I have to get back aboard. The bodyguard on Saffinger's right flank gave him a stern. No Hold on a second, Lieutenant Commander, Saffinger said, as he released his finger from the implant. He scowled and stepped towards the guard bringing his face to within inches of the shut visor on the man's combat helmet. "'What do you mean, no?' Saffinger asked. The security guard maintained his dead stare outward and said nothing, defying his commanding officer's orders as though he were the vice-admiral himself. "'Captain Saffinger!' came an urgent voice from the implant. Saffinger kept his authoritative stance in front of the guard and pushed the implant button. "'What is it, Almstock?' he said, clearly not pleased with the interruption." "'Sir, where are you?' "'I'm in the outpost terminal.' "'By yourself?' "'No. I have Tweedledum and Tweedledee here as my personal escorts,' one of the guards turned his head towards Saffinger. "'Sir,' continued the chief engineer. "'I spoke with the master chief medical corpsman to verify the count. Two security officers have just been found dead aboard the Vickers class.' Saffinger peered at one of the guards out of the side of his eye. "'Sir, the two guards presumed dead in the hangar explosion "'were found with acid burns on their entire body, "'shoved in a custodial closet on the repair corvette. "'No clothes, no IDs.' "'Saffinger said nothing, "'inspecting the uniforms of the guards again out of the corner of his eye. "'Sir?' "'Saffinger said nothing and looked down at the hands of one of the guards. "'They were covered by black gloves, holding an assault rifle chest high. "'Saffinger looked closer at the index finger of the man's right glove.' There was a serrated slit on the top. The cloth tattered and threads unwinding at the seams. Suddenly, the edge of a keratin claw appeared from the puncture, then instantly retracted. Saffinger's heart began to race. He looked past the guards, at the door leading out of the waiting lounge. He wanted to run, but didn't think he could make it. A Dubdonian waiter in a small uptrack approached from the bar. Would you gentlemen care for a drink? Both guards turned towards the waiter and shook their heads. Saffinger saw his window of opportunity and lunged toward one of the guards. He wrapped his arms around the waist and grabbed both ends of the rifle. He leaned back and slid the rifle up the uniform and under the combat helmet. When it caught under the guard's chin, Saffinger pulled as hard as he could. The guard started to gag and gargle as he tried to free himself from Saffinger's grasp. He struggled violently, first by trying to pull the rifle off his neck, then by grasping at the side of Saffinger's uniform. The other guard immediately swung around and pointed his rifle at Saffinger's head. A blinking red light appeared on the waiter's uptrack, and the alien scurried back towards the bar. ''Let him go!'' the other guard yelled. Savinger pulled harder, leaning back until his guard's feet were almost off the ground. He let out a panicked yelp and flailed his arms and legs, still trying desperately to catch a breath. ''Put the gun down!'' Saffinger demanded of the other guard. ''No!'' he said, inching closer to Savinger, barrel still pointed right at his face. "'He doesn't have much time,' Saffinger said. "'His breaths are fading.' "'No, let him go!' "'I let him go when you tell me what you're doing here, Jowler. The guard pulled a lever on the assault rifle, and an electronic wheeze spat from the weapon. "'Don't play games with me. You won't pull that trigger, not from this distance.' Suddenly, with all the force he could muster, the guard in Saffinger's grasp let out a wild scream, slammed his feet against the deck, and drove the captain back to the wall behind them. Saffinger crashed into the base of the wall and lost his grip on the rifle. The guard jammed an elbow into Saffinger's stomach and sprang to his feet, taking control of the weapon and immediately shoving the barrel into Saffinger's forehead. Get up, he managed as he flipped his visor up with one hand and thrust the rifle harder into Saffinger's skull with the other. The creature gasped for air, his head rocking back and forth, desperately trying to maintain consciousness. But his eyes were steady, green and pale and full of wrath, with a piercing gaze that seemed to go right through Saffinger's. The scales on his face flared several times, opening and shutting like a twisting Venetian blind in the hands of a fidgety child. He absorbed some oxygen in the room and took a deep breath. "'Get up!' he ordered with a coarse, uneven voice. Saffinger raised one of his arms and slowly made his way back to his feet. Now move, Saffinger turned and headed towards the doorway out of the lounge. Get your hands on your head, let's go. Just as Saffinger put his palms on top of his thick white hair, the guard thrust the butt end of his rifle into the small of his back. Saffinger let out a deep groan and fell to his knees. The other guard grabbed Saffinger's hands and placed them together behind his back, cuffing them together with a plastic wire. He pulled Saffinger up by the scruff of his uniform and shoved him back out towards the exit. Suddenly, two uptracks appeared in the corridor and positioned themselves in front of the exit. Place your weapons down, the Dubdonian commanded. Violence aboard the space station will not be tolerated. The two uptracks pointed their onboard mini-turrets directly at the Jaller reptiles, barrels spinning and lights indicating an active state. The Jollers immediately raised their weapons in perfect unison, pushed a button on the side of the stock, and fired a medley of ionizing rounds at the uptracks. Bursts of sparks flew off both Dubdonians, and the force of the ensuing blast sent them hurling against the corridor wall, their metal carapaces instantly smashing into bits of debris, and the carbon fiber capsules cracking at the base. The Jollers, pleased with their work, poked Saffinger with the barrels of their rifles and ordered him to continue out the entryway. Left!" one of them shouted, and all three banked down the hall towards a giant, ominous sealed door at the far end of the corridor. Safinger turned his head and could see the fallen Dubdonian soldiers, capsules broken and their jelly like bodies spilling out onto the floor, caps pumping, trying to savour the last bit of sustenance the goo inside provided them. Hold him! one guard ordered the other in his own lispy tongue. Saffinger could pick out a few words here and there. He knew some phrases, but anything beyond the basics, and it was like trying to understand English, a language long forgotten by the new alliance. The reptile grabbed Saffinger tightly by the uniform, his sharp claws tearing a gaping hole into the collar. "'You rigged that shuttle, didn't you?' Saffinger asked coldly. The Jowler still had his visor up, and Saffinger could see a devious grin form on his face. "'How did you get it out of the hangar?' Saffinger continued." The joller reached into his pocket and fished out a device no bigger than a coaster. He flipped it towards Saffinger, and the gadget bounced off his chest and dropped to the floor, rattling as it landed, as if it were an old metal coin. The joller gargled and coughed up a bit of mucus lodged in his throat. He was clearly trying to say something, but the damage to his esophagus still lingered, keeping him from making too much sound. Saffinger looked down at the device, which landed face-up on the floor. It had some undecipherable Jaller hieroglyphics flashing across the display, but he'd seen similar designs in the past. It was certainly a remote-control device, and most likely programmable to override all standard navigational inputs. Saffinger shifted his face to his captor. "'All right. What do you want, huh?' Saffinger asked. "'You want me? Is that what this is all about? Some last-ditch ploy to avenge your fearless leader?' The joller didn't respond. There's no one left in your fleet, remember? It's over. It's done. End this madness before you start another goddamn war. Saffinger got nothing but silence and a dead stare. The other guards suddenly appeared behind them, leading the customs agent toward the massive door with a rifle pointed at the back of its uptrack. Open it, the other joller demanded. The customs agent tracked toward a security station and hovered over the controls before punching in a few codes. You'll be shot on sight, it said, and began to manipulate the buttons and dials with all the appendages of its uptrack. In this dump, the jowler exclaimed, I wouldn't be surprised if we just wasted your only two guards. The massive door suddenly slid open. A dark red glow filled the corridor just beyond the entryway, pulsing on and off with a distant hum of an alarm resonating from down the hall. "'Thank you,' said the Jowler, and pointed his rifle at the customs agent. He pulled the trigger, and the up-track sparked and slammed into the wall, just like the security guards had, with bits of metal and liquid flying in all directions. "'Come on,' the Jowler said, and ran through the opening, waving his hand for his companion to join. The other Jowler grabbed a better hold on Saffinger's collar and pulled him into the corridor. The three raced past a series of small hangars and warehouse rooms, the bulk of which were completely empty, devoid of life or cargo. Saffinger tried to keep up, but with both hands tied behind his back and a constant tugging on his uniform, it was nearly impossible to maintain speed. The faster the jollers ran, the more he stumbled and lost his footing. The joller, taking the point, reached down and pressed a button on his belt. <laughs> Saffinger heard him say. The joller waited a moment, then began again, now speaking softly into his implant microphone. Suddenly, Saffinger's own implant crackled, and a voice came through on the speaker embedded in his ear. Captain Saffinger? Saffinger couldn't respond. He tried jamming his shoulder back behind his ear to push the implant, but he lost balance. He stumbled forward, almost falling over completely, but the Jowler holding him yanked on his uniform and dragged him onward. Captain, Captain came the voice again. It was Lieutenant Commander Almstock. I wanted to inform you I have assumed command of the flagship and set up a mini-bridge in engineering. Your biosignature is still active, so I'm going to assume they haven't killed you yet. If you can hear this, just know we're sending help once we get access to working shuttles. Savenger wanted to tell him to stop, to not risk any more crew. He knew the best course of action would be an SOS to Dara Headquarters, but he was powerless, unable to activate the microphone to respond. Saffinger cursed to himself and looked down the seemingly endless corridor. The flashing blood-red overhead seemed to intensify, and the sound of the alarm, no longer a faint hum but an almost deafening siren, poured in from above. Saffinger put one foot in front of the other as quickly as he could, gradually losing breath but not ready to give up and drop just yet. He knew how ruthless the Jaller monsters were. They wouldn't hesitate to kill him at the slightest inconvenience to their plans. He wasn't about to bet his life on it either way. So he ran as fast as his legs would take him, trying to will away the pain and the complete and utter exhaustion that grew in his bones. The three men ran for what seemed like hours, down a single hallway, seeing the same empty warehouses with every step. Saffinger finally looked up, his head having limped over several warehouse rooms back, dangling from his neck as if it were a deflated balloon, and saw a ray of hope. There was a sharp turn at the end of the corridor, no more than a few meters away. As they turned the corner, at least ten Dubdonian uptracks, twice as big as the ones in the lounge, stood at the entrance of a massive loading hangar, with turrets pointing right at the intruders. The three men stopped dead with a few quick squeaks under their boots and froze. "'Place your weapons down!' the Dubdonian commander shouted. "'This is a restricted area!' The jowlers began to raise their arms up slowly, gripping the rifles by the smalls of the stock." Weapons down, the commander ordered as a mass of turret barrels began to spin on each uptrack. The Jollers looked at one another and bent over, calmly and slowly, without any sudden movements. They laid their rifles on the floor as instructed. Slide them over. The Jollers obeyed and pushed the rifles toward the first row of assault uptracks. Before the rifles came to rest, one of the Jollers quickly reached down and pulled an egg-shaped device from off his belt. He pushed a button at its top edge and tossed it out into the center of the security forces. Both Jollers leapt up and shoved Saffinger back behind the corner of the hallway. They tumbled to the floor, covering their heads as they hit the cold granite, one Joller falling right on top of Saffinger's back. Suddenly, an explosion erupted from around the corner. The entire corridor shook, and the red overheads dulled, flickered wildly, then faded out. A bright blue flame surged past, as if it had been deathly starving for oxygen and unleashed from behind a closed door. Saffinger kept his head down and tried to flatten himself under the weight of the jowler. He could feel the fire's heat lashing at his back, biting through his uniform and into his skin. He screamed, but his cry was silenced by the rush of the passing flame staying just far enough above to not burn him alive the flame reached its furthest point a few meters down the corridor then vanished leaving a trail of charred wall back around the corner the jollers stood up and brushed themselves off completely unscathed and untouched by the explosion they knew the stolen guard uniforms were fire resistant head to toe and they used them perfectly to their advantage saffinger rolled onto his side he took a few irregular breaths and sat up hands still tied behind his back He touched a sore layer of skin where his hands met and immediately pulled away, wincing and arching his back as though someone had pricked him with a hundred syringes right in that spot. His uniform was gone from chest to waist at the side, exposed to the flame and burnt right off. He tried to look through the closed visor of one of the joller's helmets, but the tent was too dark to see inside. Whether he liked it or not, the reptile had just saved his life. "'If you're not here to kill me, Jowler, then what do you want?' asked Saffinger, still locked on the monster's concealed eyes behind the visor, trying desperately to regain breath. "'You, Captain,' the reptile responded, "'we want you, and we want you alive. You are worth nothing to us dead.' "'Why here? Why this outpost?' The Jowler said nothing. He reached down and grabbed Saffinger by what was left of his uniform and hauled him up to his feet." The other one pushed a button on his belt and spoke a few jumbled hisses out into the empty corridor. He released his finger from the button and nodded at his cohort, muttering a phrase that Saffinger recognized. The fleet has arrived. The Jowler walked over and took a quick peek around the corner. He waved for the other to join him and instantly disappeared around the bend. Saffinger was too exhausted and frustrated to resist. Before his captor could tug on his uniform again, he started forward, almost leading the way into the next section of corridor. It was nearly pitch black now. The overheads had completely burnt out, with only a thin trail of white lights leading the way into the loading hangar. But Saffinger could still see metal scraps and wires strewn across the floor, the assault uptrack carapaces fallen and empty, and a coat of their saline liquid lining the walls and ceiling. He counted twelve dead Dubdonians, some still pulsating, with a weak red and yellow flame engulfing the remains of their jelly-like bodies." He couldn't believe how powerful the blast was. He had never seen such devastation from such a small device. Even the heavily armored commander was lying dead against the wall, with a fountain of sparks pouring out of its uptrack. The onboard electronics shorted and fizzled and let out a series of raspy electric crackles as it lay there, still and without a shred of life. The Jollers pulled Saffinger into the hangar, and all three men ran towards a gigantic crane unloading crates from what looked like the cargo bay of the Verklust freighter. The room had to have been at least twice the size of the DERA hangar back at the Hydra-2 orbital facility, and it seemed to be the only one in the entire space station with any goods or activity inside. Armies of automated forklifts drove back and forth between the ramps and storage pallets, loading and unloading cargo in an elegant, nearly perfect geometric pattern. Their movements tracked in complete synchronization, with seemingly little need for sophisticated artificial intelligence or other complex algorithms. They moved and worked their hydraulic forks with such immaculate timing that none ever seemed to get in each other's way, always passing at the same distance and with the same precise speed. "'There!' one of the Jollers called out and pointed to a row of crates almost directly in front of the opening to the freighter. They hurried towards it, both Jollers pulling out some sort of device from their pockets as they approached the pallets." The Jaller holding Saffinger finally released his grip on the uniform collar and began to move from one metal crate to the other, holding his device up to each as though he were scanning the contents inside. Suddenly, Saffinger's implant buzzed, and Lieutenant Commander Almstock's voice burst through the speaker. Captain, there's a Jaller fleet inbound, 40 AUs and closing fast. I don't know what to do. Our ships aren't ready for another attack. Saffinger tilted his head awkwardly and jammed his right shoulder back behind his ear. "'What's their composition?' he whispered, as he watched the Jollers frantically search up and down the cargo pallets. "'My God, you're all right, sir. I can't believe it. We thought—' "'Hell, it doesn't matter now. Okay, let me see. Mostly capital ships. A few frigate and destroyer squadrons. One battleship. It's a bison class, sir. Big mother.' "'Wait, that's Joller's sovereign issue,' Saffinger whispered again. "'It's a state fleet, Almstock. Those aren't privateers.' What do I do then, Captain? Open comms with them as soon as they come out of warp. What do I say? Saffinger spotted one of the Jollers appear from behind a crate. He straightened up and took a shoulder from off his ear, hoping the reptile didn't notice. But the Joller was too busy inspecting the crates, systematically placing the odd device up to each one of them before moving on to the next. The Joller disappeared behind another set of crates, and Saffinger immediately pressed his shoulder to the side of his head again. "'Ask them what the hell they think they're doing!' Saffinger tried to whisper, but it came out as a subdued yell. "'If their government has something to do with these agents, then they've broken nearly every protocol in the Second Messier Treaty. "'When the new Alliance Parliament finds out what happened here, we'll be at war within weeks!' "'Sir!' Almstock interrupted. "'They've come out of warp already. Instant Quan, open comms with the fleet!' Saffinger waited for the lieutenant commander to begin speaking again, but heard nothing from the other end of the implant. "'Sir, they're not responding!' came Elmstock's voice after a few moments of silence. "'Damn it!' muttered Saffinger. "'This is insanity! "'Wait, sir, hold on. "'Ensign Islington just entered. "'He says he has something urgent to tell you.' "'Okay, give him my frequency,' Saffinger sighed "'and flexed his forearms a little. "'He was losing circulation and feeling in both hands, "'and he tried to stretch the plastic bands around his wrists "'to ease the tension, but to no avail.' Captain, began Islington, I ran a cargo scan before we docked. The results of the analysis just came in. There's something strange about the goods we delivered. What do you mean, Saffinger whispered with furrowed brows. Sir, I don't know the exact value of the mining equipment, but from the report there's no more than one hundred million, maybe one hundred fifty million asters worth of property. That's impossible. There should be over sixty billion asters here. Sir, there's something else. I... He stopped. What is it, Ensign? Well, sir, the mineral analysis told me about a quarter of the crates on board are empty. No, Saffinger scowled. That greedy bastard Lang is ripping off the Dubdonians. I should have known never to take this job. Sir, I don't know if that's completely true. What then? I ran several other scans, and there appear to be carbon-based life forms in some of those crates. What? What kind? I don't know, sir. The computer doesn't recognize the species. The scan returned traces of bromethalin... Calcium phosphide, even lithium carbonate. With that much poison, I don't know how this bio-entity is alive, but it is. Savinger tightened up and flexed again, trying to stretch the plastic restraints and regain feeling in his hands. Out of the corner of his eye, he noticed a metal crate with a rough, tattered edge, as though someone was trying to scrape it off for steel wool. He approached it and peered around the side, making sure neither of the jollers were within sight. Both were still distracted, a few rose down, scanning each crate almost as though they had forgotten Saffinger was even there. He turned around so his back faced the crate and started rubbing the plastic ties up and down on the serrated edge. "'Captain!' rang Elmstock's voice over the implant. Three shuttles just launched from the flagship and are headed towards the freighter.' Saffinger continued to grind down the wire, gradually feeling the plastic weaken with every swipe. He glanced around the corner again and saw a secondary hangar door open just beside the main loading bay." He began to pump his arms up and down furiously, hearing a snap now and then as individual layers of the wire began stripping off. Captain, they're entering the hangar! Just as Saffinger tore off the last thread of plastic, he heard one of the Jollers cry out with a wild primal shriek of joy. Saffinger froze. Over here! the reptile shouted. The sound of a drill quickly filled the air, and after only a few moments, a cover popped off and fell to the floor with a heavy thud. There are the little buggers the jowler said, with pure delight in his voice. Saffinger suddenly heard a muted chirp. He stood perfectly still, trying to get a better listen, still hidden behind the cover of the crates. There was another chirp, this time louder and clearer. No, Saffinger muttered to himself. No, it can't be. The sound was no longer one chirp, but a chorus of several, calling out in staggered intervals, almost as though they were trying to communicate with one another. It's impossible, Saffinger mumbled again. They've been extinct for centuries. He stuck his head out ever so slightly around the edge of the crate and saw one of the Jollers holding a bald little creature with a crooked beak no bigger than a common Hydra kinglet over his head for the other to see. The three Joller shuttles, slightly bigger than the standard commuters and with a much larger cargo hold, entered the hangar and touched down near the pallets. Three airlock doors slid open in almost perfect unison, with a group of jollers in pristine naval uniforms instantly appearing from the crafts and heading towards the gathering. They exchanged a few salutes and smiles with the two agents and flagged down a gang of labor bots from within the shuttles. There are more here than we originally thought, said one of the officers, possibly an admiral with the amount of medals and badges affixed to his uniform as he surveyed the crates. Load them up. He panned his eyes from one end of the hangar to the other, his forked tongue slithering in and out. "'Now where's the prisoner? You said you had him!' One of the agents whipped his head towards the crate Saffinger hid behind, and stared right into Saffinger's eyes, remembering finally he had just left him there without tying him up. Saffinger pulled his head back. It was too late. He'd been spotted. There were no more options. He was too exhausted to run, too weary to resist any longer. He was ready to step out with his hands raised over his head and surrender. But he remained still, waiting. For what? He didn't know. Something inside him just didn't want to give up. He heard quick footsteps rushing towards him, getting louder the longer he waited. Suddenly a crane hook appeared above him and attached its magnetic head to the top of the crate. He reached for a lever on the side of the container and grabbed onto it as the crane pivoted upwards. Saffinger felt a tug on his arm and was lifted up into the air, soaring towards the ceiling, passing over the stacked crates below. (laughs) "'Escanvalza!' one of the officers yelled from below. (laughs) "'Escanvalza! He's in!' An acid bolt zipped past Saffinger as he continued up, pulled up by the crate and swung towards the back corner of the hangar. Another shot followed, splattering onto the crate and immediately beginning to corrode through the aluminum alloy as though it were a mere piece of paper held up to a blowtorch. Saffinger's grip on the lever was steadily weakening, the sweat on his hand making it nearly impossible to hold on for much longer. He looked down. The crate glided over a set of rafters just a few meters below. He shut his eyes momentarily and then let go, falling through the air for what seemed like an eternity. His feet touched the narrow, studded rafter and gave out immediately as the remainder of his weight was just too much for his weary legs to handle. He toppled over the side and managed to get a hand on the edge of the beam. He dangled there rocking back and forth some twenty meters above the cold, gray hangar floor, with the jollers eyeing him from below. "'Sis one of the officers ordered. Saffinger could hear the wheeze of electrostatic charge building up in the weapons as the joller pointed the barrel upwards. Saffinger shut his eyes and took a deep breath. He reached with his free arm and pushed on the side of his calm implant. "'They can't be stopped now,' he whispered in a calm voice. "'Warn the Dubdonians.' The Chintas have been found again. Just then he felt a shock rush through his body. He went limp, and his fingers slid off the rafter. Then there was nothing. No sounds. No smells. He was falling, but it was as though he believed nothing would ever break his fall. His mind went white, snowy, fizzing out into a colorless haze like an old television set losing reception. He barely felt impact with the ground, yet his ribcage and legs cracked and bent under the weight of his contorting body, slamming into the granite floor like a discarded rag doll. Then he felt a strange tingle in his body, a peaceful, delicate shiver. He managed to open his eyes for just a momentary glimpse at the world outside. The hangar was now only a misty blur, but he could make out a lone joller standing over him with a devilish smile painted across his face. It was Tango. There was no mistaking that lean Komodo dragon like figure. Hello again, Captain. Safinger just closed his eyes and faded into the darkness of his unconscious.